the things my family did I am not the voices in my head I am not the pieces of the brokenness inside I am light I am light Hi everyone and welcome back to the Being Inspired radio show I am your host, Amanda Johnson, and today I continue reading from my new book, Becoming Enough, A Heroine's Journey to the Already Perfect Self. I have really enjoyed reading aloud the introduction, and then I did the first part, part one, the first three chapters over the past few episodes, and it's been fun for me to share this book, this message, this gift that came through me with you in this format, in this medium. And I'm excited to continue with part two today. Part two is the adventure. It's where I embark on what it means to accept the call to becoming enough, to learning to trust that voice within. And so in this episode, I will read chapter four, Crossing the Threshold. Therefore, if you are satisfied that what you have is enough, you will always be content. Lao Tzu. After having worked for a large consulting firm for nearly four years, I was offered an opportunity to help market and sell an emotional intelligence training program to corporations across the United States. I went from being a corporate ladder climber in a company of more than 200,000 employees to being the director of corporate training in a company of three. I trusted the advice of a dear mentor of mine and the small voice within who said it was time to try something new, something more aligned with my gifts and my values. While this new opportunity allowed me to prove that I am more capable than I think and validated my suspicion that corporate America is not a good fit for me, Within a short period of time, it became quite obvious that it was not panning out to be quite what any of us had thought. Not anyone's fault. We simply were not fully aligned on the vision for my role and how I could best support the company. Here I am on the heels of reading those two books that served as such a pivotal moment for me, faced with a major life decision. Quit a new job after only six months that wasn't quite panning out, or stick with it as long as I could until I found something else. Being armed with the truth, and having had glimpses of it within, I take a path I wouldn't have chosen in the past. Still fearful of what might happen, I trust my inner knowing, reflected back to me by a coach I am working with at the time, and choose to be honest with my employer and step down from my position without having any plan B in place. Even though I am scared of the unknown, what will he say, how will he react, how will I pay my bills, I choose honoring my inner guidance and honesty. And the conversation couldn't have turned out better. I am immediately offered the gift of what happens when we stand in our knowing, trusting that who we are and what we know and feel is enough. My boss offers me a loving farewell party, and thanks me for my contribution and directness. He honors my enoughness as a reflection of me honoring it first. I cross the threshold and there is no turning back. 
I am entering a new world of listening to my soul's wisdom to guide me to knowing whatever I do from this place, I will be okay. The months to follow offer me many more opportunities to see if I am truly committed to this new way of being. People ask me when I will get another real job. Jobs present themselves to me, tempting me to go back to what feels safe and secure. My finances shift, and instead of having a surplus, money is going out at a faster rate than it is coming in. Yet through each situation, I am respected when I stay true to myself and take the step that asks me to deepen into trusting the universe to support me. When I decline the more secure and stable job opportunities, I am presented with divinely synchronous opportunities that are less stable, though more in alignment with my gifts and desires. When bills are due, I receive money through more creative and non-traditional means just in time. Sometimes that is through renting out my studio apartment to business travelers or tourists visiting San Francisco. Other times it is through receiving a surprise, unsuspecting check from someone. And other times yet it is through a coaching client that seems to come out of nowhere. When I am asked to take a step in faith, there is always something there to catch me. This is what I am committing to. An ongoing practice of putting one foot in front of the other, knowing that I will always be okay, no matter what. After stepping through the door into a whole new world, it looks a lot like it did before. I still have my same apartment, same partner, same friends, same issues, same dreams. The difference isn't my life situation. It is how I perceive my life situation. My tendencies and patterns don't magically disappear overnight. I still get triggered, feel pain and sadness, and don't know what I want to do with my life. Yet now I have a new way of being with this. I observe it. I don't take it so personally. I don't avoid it. I watch it with curiosity and compassion. This land of observation offers me a new perception of the world, and there is no unknowing this new way of being. I no longer need judgment to keep me safe. I begin to feel out what it means to move through life without this false protection. Instead of striving harder and doing more, I simply observe. I watch. I sit. I feel. I experience. I am. Accepting who you truly are means unlearning everything you have learned up until this point in your life. It asks that you do what is uncomfortable. Comfort is safe. Comfort is what the ego craves. Discomfort and uncertainty mean you are removing the armor piece by piece. It feels vulnerable at first, unlike what you're accustomed to, which means you're growing and finding your way back to who you truly are. The more discomfort you encounter and endure, the more you learn how you are truly invulnerable. Time and time again, I am invited to be okay with discomfort. This does not come easily to me. I have spent my whole life guarding myself from anything uncomfortable, be it physical dis-ease, emotional pain, or mental distress. I would go to great lengths to avoid any discomfort at all costs. People-pleasing, avoiding confrontation, limiting any physical risk or overexertion, saying yes when I meant no, learning endless tools and skills that kept me at peace, and feeling calm. This new world invites me to live with ambiguity and step out of my comfort zone every single day, from not knowing if my apartment will rent out enough to cover my expenses, to asking for financial help, 
to being in a new relationship with open and direct communication. It asks me to feel things fully, pain and pleasure. When you feel things fully, you start to notice that it moves through you, or perhaps you move through it. You're finally able to release it and notice there is something far greater underneath waiting for you. We get to choose whether we sleep through life or are wide awake. And being wide awake means feeling the entire range of emotions, not going through life numb or cut off. Of course, it feels more comfortable to go through life not feeling anything. This is why we spend nearly a trillion dollars on alcohol and pharmaceuticals each year in the United States alone. The reason we resist our feelings is because we judge certain feelings as good and others as bad, and we want to avoid the bad feelings. When you no longer judge your feelings, you no longer need to resist them out of fear. Instead, you can acknowledge and feel them as they are. The New World asks me time and time again to make a decision without having it all figured out or knowing the answer. There is no luxury to weigh all options, do extensive research on what others think is best, or take into account each and every person's reaction. It's not that I now make impulsive decisions, though it sometimes feels that way. Rather, I'm learning to trust my intuition. I'm learning that my already perfect self, rather than my overly analytical and judgmental ego, is good at making decisions. This means tuning in and listening for the answer in my body, trusting when I hear a hell yes and signing up for a year-long life coach training program without doing endless research or knowing exactly where it will lead me, making plans and changing them, extending my trip to South America on a whim and experiencing the miracles of the universe when resources arrive to support me, learning to find my voice to speak my truth even when it's uncomfortable or I fear hurting people's feelings. It asks that I redefine my definition of things like debt, freedom, and success. I used to think success meant reaching some destination, achieving some result. If I earn a certain amount of money, if I get a certain job, if I lose the weight, then I am a success. This is no longer true for me. Success isn't measured in some if-then scenario. It's measured in how I show up to each scenario. Success is being fully connected to my true self, operating from that place and bringing all that to what I am creating or doing. Success is realized when the true self is no longer kept hidden behind fears and limiting beliefs and is instead shared with others. Of course, success often feeds into beliefs about freedom. If I am successful, then I can be free. It's easy to compartmentalize freedom. Financial freedom, location freedom, freedom from time. But I have learned that freedom is freedom. And it isn't found in how much money is in my bank account, or whether or not I own a house, or whether or not I have a 9-to-5 job. Freedom is found in acknowledging and exercising the choice I have in each and every moment to decide how to observe and respond to my situation. It means being a conscious co-creator of my life, as opposed to going through life on autopilot. While many of us experience tremendous external freedoms, we are still prisoners to ourselves. When you hold on to fear and judgment, you are imprisoning yourself. When you hold on to needing to know or figuring it out, you are imprisoning yourself. 
As global spiritual teacher and Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh wisely says, letting go gives us freedom, and freedom is the only condition for happiness. While talking with a friend about what it means to me to be financially free, I said, making decisions based on my truth as opposed to my bank account. It surprised me when I realized that I already am financially free by that definition, even with debt and limited money coming in. Debt no longer holds me prisoner because I choose not to perceive it that way anymore. Debt simply means I paid for an experience with money lent to me by a company that I have not yet paid back. As the Apostle Paul taught in 2 Corinthians 8.14, it means that their plenty currently supplies what I need. It doesn't mean I am bad or irresponsible or incapable. It doesn't mean that I will be indebted for the rest of my life. A day will come, as it has many times before, when my plenty will supply what someone else needs. Money comes and goes, just like everything else. Paul also wrote, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice that he didn't say, avoid debt at all costs. You must always have a surplus in your savings account. For many of us, the fear of debt or not living in plenty restrains us from making decisions based on our true desires. There is freedom in non-judgment and observing the impermanence and seasons of all things. Being a foreigner in this new land, I quickly learned that my greatest ally is my true self, my observer. She never judges, she simply observes. She doesn't see things as right or wrong, good or bad, but rather, what is. There is nothing lacking or to be gained. There are no mistakes. The observer sees the perfection in all things and has no reason to doubt or compare. According to the Oxford Dictionary, to observe means to notice or perceive something and register it as being significant, which is sufficiently great or important to be worthy of attention. I interpret this to mean that when my true self observes, she notices each thing in each moment and considers it sufficient, enough. My observer serves as my inner guide by shining the light of non-judgmental awareness on all things. Awareness can sometimes seem like the final stage, the ultimate goal, or the new world in which to live. If I am aware enough, I can reveal the perfect self within. Unfortunately, awareness alone can be a disguise the crafty evolved ego wears. Look how aware I am, it proudly declares. I get to point out all the patterns and beliefs you need to improve, fix, and do differently. Any and all judgment comes from the ego or false self. So long as I am still in judgment, my awareness simply points out my mistakes and where I am still doing it wrong. The inner monologue of critique and judgment doesn't immediately stop in this new world. It still has its way with me, trying to pull me off my center and away from my truth. The voice inside my head continues to tell me how I am not doing enough or working hard enough or I don't have what it takes. The voice seems to get louder as I pave my own path away from certainty and security and I step blindly into trust and the unknown. 
When you first step out of your comfort zone and into the unknown, your enemies will make themselves even more prevalent. The voice of judgment shouts at you to entice you back to the land of comfort, the certain and known, where the false self has taken by force its seat as ruler. Stepping into the land of the unknown, where the true self reigns supreme, means the ego needs to shout even louder to be heard. This is when more trust, more faith, and more willingness to be uncomfortable is required. The voice of the ego will eventually quiet down as it realizes it's not getting a reaction of fear or judgment out of you as it once did. When you join forces with the true self and no longer desire the false protection of judgment, you are asked to transform your relationship with the ego. At first, when I became aware of my judgments, I did everything I could to try to rid myself of them. I started judging my judgments. They aren't okay, and I'm not okay to have them. I turned my judgments into my enemy. Once I realized judgment couldn't actually protect me from anything, I saw it as something to fight against. This was still based in fear. I felt vulnerable without my typical patterns and ways of protecting myself. I felt exposed, and I thought if I still had judgments, I must not be on the right path. Judgment is simply a sign that the ego is fighting for its existence in this new world. So instead of trying to rid myself of my judgment, I start to befriend it. I start to be curious about why it's here and what it's doing to serve me. I start to observe it. One day while hiking with a group of friends in the Marin Headlands of California, I noticed my inner critics start going on and on about how everyone else is walking so fast and not taking their time to enjoy the hike. She just won't drop it. As I lag far behind everyone else, she keeps me company for a few minutes with her endless badgering. It's in this moment I feel a shift in our relationship occur. Instead of asking her to shut up or arguing with her, I ask her why she is saying all this. Why is this important for me to know? How is she trying to help me? She replies without missing a beat. Because I want you to know it's okay that you're taking your time and walking slower than everyone else and enjoying the hike. You're okay just the way you are. She wants me to know there is no need for me to feel bad for being slow or to feel as if I'm missing out on something not being with the rest of the group. She is trying to assure me I'm okay just the way I am. She points me to a deeper reality of what is. Because I no longer judge her, she is no longer my critic. She is a neutral bystander. I now see how judgment isn't something to fix or fear. It's just trying to keep me safe. Of course, the true self doesn't need protection because it is always okay and completely invulnerable, which is what this journey reveals. But the ego doesn't know this, so it uses judgment and other tactics to try to protect you. Instead of defending your judgment or seeing it as the enemy, I suggest you examine your relationship with it by getting curious about what it has to say and why it's saying it. You may be surprised by what it tells you or what deeper truth it reveals. Other so-called enemies I encounter along the way are simply reflections of where I still experience fear. Sometimes they show up as perfectionism, doubt, and comparison as I am asked to take more and more steps on this path with no map or clear picture of where I am heading. Other times they come in the form of family, friends, and other mentors who reflect back to me the fears that I won't make it, can't afford it, and not need to find a real job.
Unlike the time in college, I now listen to that inner knowing that says, I will be okay, and continue on my path into the unknown. What I ultimately learn is there are no enemies in this new world. There are simply opportunities to deepen into my trust and knowing, and to resist the temptation to play it safe, stay in my comfort zone, do what makes sense, or do it their way. This new world teaches me that I am no longer my greatest enemy. I am my greatest ally. With this lesson, I have the courage to face something I have been avoiding for far too long. If I'm truly enough just the way I am, what in the world will I distract myself with anymore? Perfectionism, doubt, and comparison, along with all sorts of other false shields, are great at keeping me stuck in this space of thinking there is more I need to figure out, more I need to fix, more I need to protect myself against. All of a sudden, I can't distract myself with my suffering or hide anymore. I have to trust and observe and stand in my true knowing. While visiting my brother in Florida, I receive an aha moment, a lightning bolt of energy to keep me moving forward on my journey. In a flash, I realize that I create my own suffering so as to avoid being okay because I don't know who I am without my struggle. This blows my mind. Accepting the fact that my true self is always okay and everyone else's too is new to me. I'm still accustomed to my false self calling all the shots so as it has for the past 30 some years. If I feel at peace and don't have to struggle, that means I'm living from my true self, revealing more of my wholeness and more of my power, which is totally unfamiliar and slightly terrifying. The question staring me in the face is, who am I without my ego? It is my ego that is creating the struggle, trying desperately to find whatever it can to hold on to to feel important and necessary. Now that I have a glimpse of who I truly am, already perfectly divine, and no longer see my ego as an ally to depend on or an enemy to fight, what is the point of it? The ego is terrified of me learning the answer to this question, because once I accept it, there is no need for the ego to exist. One night, while watching The Shift, I experience a deep sense of relief. The film offers so many gifts, specifically how Wayne Dyer reminds me that there is no need to defend the ego because that is like defending something that doesn't exist. Of course, I'm human, so my ego isn't going anywhere, but defending it is just another act of the ego. The pure, absolute self feels no need to either defend or refuse the false self for both are just another sign of the ego's power. Simply noticing when the ego reacts to something or desires something is the way to disempower it. And the less power your ego has in your life, the less frustration and more compassion you will experience. Some people say that we need the ego. It's important. Without it, we won't achieve things or keep ourselves safe. I see it differently. My ego keeps my ego safe but my true self is fully capable of keeping me from harm's way. Why wouldn't it? Yes, my ego desires to keep my physical body safe because that is where it resides, but it has a much bigger agenda than that. It wants to keep itself safe by keeping me small and from shining my light too brightly. Sometimes the ego will use my body as a ploy for keeping me safe, having me think that if I do something that feels uncomfortable, I will die. 
but unless that something requires me to jump in front of a train, I probably won't. I'm learning that the ego has a lot to learn about death, but that is a whole other story. The true self, on the other hand, desires to keep the truth safe, using your physical body as its vehicle and granting you the courage to step out of your comfort zone and do the seemingly impossible. You don't need the ego to keep you safe, unless by safe you mean comfortable, small, and denying your true essence. As I explore this new relationship with my false self, seeing it as no longer necessary and realizing it's going to be sticking around for quite some time, I prepare to embark on a literal journey of a lifetime, traveling to Peru to participate in a sacred medicine journey. The ancient tradition of ayahuasca called to me many months before. Grandmother Medicine, as the plant is referred to, started to make herself known to me through a comment here, a friend's experience there, and finally an invitation by a mentor of mine. I followed the trail of breadcrumbs, paying attention to the clues being laid out in front of me. The call to go on this journey is a clear hell yes moment. I hear the answer and trust all will be well. The journey does not fail me. The gifts and lessons awaiting me are priceless. During my first communion with the plant medicine, I undergo my official initiation of this new world. This is my test, and it feels like life or death, because it is, to my ego. Am I committed to this new way of being? Am I willing to let my ego and all its devices go? Am I willing to die under the false self in order to be reborn into the true self? As I feel the medicinal cactus known as San Pedro, or Huachuma, course through my body, so much comes up for me. I learn that when I feel abandoned, it is not because I have been abandoned by others. They merely reflect back to me the pain of abandoning my true self. I abandon myself each time I give away my power to others by worrying what they will think or how they will react or by doing what they want even when it isn't in alignment. On a sunny day in November, surrounded by the beautiful Apus in Peru, I attend a funeral. A funeral for my false self. It's time to say goodbye to the fear, judgment, and false beliefs that are no longer serving me. As I lay her in the ground, I thank her for all she has done for me, how she kept me safe for so many years and did her best to keep me feeling loved and connected. Then I release her and let her know I no longer need her. I lay her in the ground with gratitude and thanksgiving, feeling a sense of peace as I come to terms with who I truly am. Unfortunately, this funeral was far more metaphorical than literal. My ego did not remain in her grave amidst the Peruvian mountains. She got right back on that plane with me. But during the burial, I completed my initiation. In that moment, I fortified my commitment to turn the wheel over to my true self. However, this doesn't mean my ego won't still try to make its way into the driver's seat from time to time. For many years, I thought I was getting to know myself in order to fix myself. Now I see that it's not about fixing myself at all. It's about revealing more of who I truly am. Each layer serves as a doorway, getting me closer and closer to my true self. Each time I discover a new layer, I am opening a door and revealing the light of who I am at my essence. 
Here I am, opening door after door with a whole new way of seeing the world with non-judgmental awareness. And still, I fall victim to fear. I watch with love and compassion my little threatened ego grab its shield of choice, perfectionism, doubt, comparison, and prepare for battle. Though this time, I know it's not doing it to keep me safe. It's trying to keep itself safe. It's doing everything it can to keep me from revealing even more of my light that puts it at risk of extinction. With this newfound knowledge, it's time for me to courageously lay down my shield and reveal the true perfection within. This is why I'm on this journey and why I want to invite you to join me. It's through self-exploration that you discover the greatness already within you. It's a pathway to awakening to your already perfect self and sharing more of that with the world. And there you have it, friends. Chapter 4 from Becoming Enough. I invite you to join me next week as I continue reading from Part 2. And we start to look at these so-called enemies that I needed to face while in this new world. How I needed to shift my relationship, transform my relationship with perfectionism, with doubt, with comparison. So that I could live from this new place where I could live from this true self. At first, it, it feels like a deer learning to walk, so it's clumsy and awkward. And through the rest of part two, I, I take you on that journey of what it looks like and then how we come out the other side. So I invite you to join me. And if this is whetting your appetite and you just want to read the whole book, I invite you to buy it from Amazon. You can get the paperback or Kindle edition there. And soon I will be releasing an audiobook, though you're already getting a teaser to that. If you haven't listened to the previous chapters, I invite you to do that as well. And until next time, many blessings.